You know, I'm going to be honest, like the uh, the quality of education, the quality of the facility for what we were paying for month to month, it was pretty disappointing. And it became increasingly clear that they were kind of just holding the visas over our head. You know, they're like, you're lucky to be here. Um, you're lucky that, you know, you're receiving this education. And I just felt kind of like we were all being taken for a ride. I mean, we... We started this course in October. It's nearly June, and we haven't stepped foot in the kitchen. When we heard that Victoria was going back into lockdown, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind was, this is so bad for international students and casual workers of all types. It's terrible for business owners. It's terrible for the whole community. Um, But my thoughts certainly went straight to some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Today we are talking to a HOSPO worker and international student called Robert Olgin. Uh, He reached out to me after listening to a podcast that we did recently with Touche, um, another international student. Robert, I'm so thrilled to have you on Dirty Linen. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Uh, So how's your lockdown going? (laughs) Yeah, um, so far it's been all right. Just trying trying to stay sane, trying to stay busy as much as I can, but also trying to be all right with um, the time off and just being all right with not having to be anywhere at the moment. Um, and where are you working at the moment? So I currently work at Lona Misa. It's a new restaurant by Shannon Martinez and Ian Curley down at the Ovalo Hotel in South Yarra. Yeah, I think probably Australia's first hotel restaurant that is completely vegan, a um, bit of a bit of a statement um, there in South Yarra and I haven't had a chance to go there yet but I love what Shannon does um, so I'm really interested to check it out food looks amazing yeah no and it is and the crew is incredible um, it's a huge honor for me I mean you know I moved uh, to a house recently um, with a couple of vegans and I wasn't vegan myself or anything but I wanted to respect you know kind of their way of life so I decided you know what I'm not going to bring meat into the home so I bought Shannon's uh, Smith and Daughters cookbook and pretty much read it like a Bible. Um, So to be able to work with her food and with her staff has been incredible. Wow. Um, Well, I'm really glad to hear that you fetched up somewhere that's so interesting and and with a great crew. Um, But yeah, Robert, tell us why you reached out to me and um, yeah, what inspired you to want to share your story? Yeah, so I heard Touche's um, podcast with you, um, and it was just incredible to hear somebody who had a story, you know, that resembled mine so closely. You know, it's so easy to feel alone when you're out here studying, working, you know, on a visa. Um, And, you know, uh, as a student in Australia, you don't have heaps of rights, um, especially when it comes down to work. You know, as you guys mentioned, the 20-hour rule was lifted, uh, so the 20-hour work limit, I should say, um, was lifted recently. And, you know, Touche kind of said it on her episode. Um, it was a bit too little too late, you know. We had gone throughout the entire last year having to kind of fend for ourselves with limited resources. So I wanted to kind of just jump on and tell tell you a little bit about my experiences, you know. Well, take us take us back a little bit, Robert, and tell us where you're from originally and what brought you to Australia. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, I was raised by my mom, who's from Mexico. Um, she immigrated there in her 
early 20s um, and we spent all of our time in LA. Um, I moved to Australia on a massive whim. Um, so one of my best friends in LA was a Melbourneian um, when it was time for him to come home in late 2019. Um, he had kind of convinced me to just come with, you know, I'd, we'd both been in hospital our whole life and he's just like, it's a way better, like hospital workers kind of have it a bit better in Australia. You know, you get paid a fair wage and, you know, the food and the coffee scene is really interesting. And, you know, it was like a matter of a month. So between September and October, I had kind of just took his word for it, um, got rid of my car, sold a bunch of stuff, bought a one-way ticket and landed here on a working holiday visa. So how long ago was that? Uh, this was in 2019. Right. So, so working holiday visa. So you didn't come here as a student. So tell us about your, yeah. Tell us how you um, progressed through your time here. Yeah. So I started working at a cafe. Um, so my background is uh, predominantly in specialty coffee. Um, so I came here to kind of just learn everything I could about coffee. Um, the Australian coffee scene is pretty otherworldly. I think we all look at it as like the mecca of coffee. <laughs> um, so I got here, I started to work straight away um, and had, you know, maybe the best five or so months ever, you know, between learning a lot, experiencing this country that I've never experienced before um, and just meeting all sorts of people that, you know, and forming bonds that I already feel like you know, I've got friends here that I imagine I'll have for the rest of my life. And then COVID hit and I had to watch all of that kind of slip away, got stood down pretty quickly, lost the apartment, you know, and just kind of had to navigate through this really disorienting time. Well, that's so tough. Um, I mean, at the same time, as you were going through this difficult period of, you must've been looking back to the U S and looking at what was happening there. I mean, what did it, what was it like to be away from home during that period? Oh yeah. It was incredibly difficult. I mean, it was almost nightmarish, right. You know, so I was in Australia separated from my mom and my brother and just constantly worried about them, constantly worried about their health. And then also worrying about how I was going to get my next meal. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, full disclosure, in July of 2020, I tried to book a plane ticket home because nothing was happening. You know, I was out of work. Um, I was staying with a friend who was really gracious and let me um, kind of lodge up with them until things normalized. But it took a while to get to anything that resembled normalcy. So I tried. I tried to go back home and just be with my family and uh, the plane the plane ride got canceled. So I got my money back, but I was just like, what do I do? You know? And I just kind of took it as a sign. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to stick it through. I'm going to see what I can make happen for myself here. Um, so months went on and my visa was meant to expire. I didn't do the farm work. I did a lot of dodgy things about the farm work. So um, basically I was just kind of counting down the days until my visa expired. So I had to come up with a solution and I decided to study. Um, so I took up a course in commercial cookery, uh, I believe Cert 4. And that's kind of where we are now. Wow. I just, 
I mean, you've said a lot and there's a lot of strands of this story to pick up on, but one thing that I would like to just check back in with is this feeling that you must have had of being really let down and abandoned, being far from home, you know, low on resources, worried about your loved ones back home. You had a job, you lost a job. And I mean, yeah, that feeling of abandonment must have been a a really large part of all the various things that you had to deal with. Yeah, no, it was massive. And I think, you know, Touche hit it on the head perfectly in her episode. You know, the government was a bit like, we've got nothing for you, go home. And I was like, well, I'm trying to get home, but nothing's happening. And yeah, you know, it was a massive feeling of abandonment. And I instantly fell in love with Melbourne when I landed here. And then to kind of watch it all come apart was so difficult, you know? What about your employer? Yeah, so um, I was employed by a pretty big specialty coffee company out here in Melbourne. And I mean, as soon as, you know, COVID took a hold of the world, basically, and especially here in Victoria, they just stood down all casuals. Um, So we were at work one week and then the following, there is no roster, no nothing. And it was a bit, you know, it's a bit like fend for yourself kind of deal. and there wasn't a whole lot of support with them, uh, to be completely honest. They did put together care packages for us, which included a single roll of toilet paper, a bag of coffee, and a reusable grocery bag, which personally I felt pretty offended by. Yeah, it's obviously not going to get you very far. Um, I mean, I guess you could say they were also thrown into a into an unprecedented situation and were struggling to keep a business afloat I guess um I just obviously business owners were put into a very difficult situation as well but at the same time you were there part of you know that hospo family Mm. and uh yeah without anywhere else to turn so yeah that makes me feel pretty sad Yeah. And, you know, you're completely right. You know, of course, this was as unprecedented as anything could be. Um, But we were all left in the dark. We were, as a staff, I should say, we were finding out updates about our job on on social media, but there wasn't any communication to us directly. And yeah, before we knew it, we were all out of a job for a bit, you know? Yeah, it's really tough. Um, I mean, you said that you stayed with a friend. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, what else did you need to do to get by? Um, So I was really, really fortunate that uh, my friend let me stay with her. Um, She didn't charge me any rent. Um, I took up a job, uh, funny enough, as a delivery driver and like a, uh, so it was essentially like a warehouse job at a roastery where I would pack coffee up and deliver it to accounts that were still open uh, when they were allowed to serve takeaway only. So I did that once, twice a week, and I got by, like, scraped by. Um, It allowed me just enough to buy groceries, um, and that was about it. Right. So partly because of your visa situation, um, you decided to study commercial cookery. Um, That must have been hard to scrape up the funds to pay for your course. Yeah, I um, I ended up having to take out a loan um, from my bank in the States just to cover up all the um, initial fees and 
Um, you know, there's so much that goes into that other than just the school fees. You've got to pay for the visa. You've got to pay for overseas health insurance, which is a massive, massive dent in the wallet. And yeah, it was tough. So, so tell me about how that's been. What's the, what's the course like? You know, hmm. I did go into the course, you know, ready and willing to learn. And I was excited. Um, I have spent time in kitchens back in LA. I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to describe myself as a skilled chef by any stretch, but I was, you know, I was inspired and I thought, okay, I'll do this. You know, I'll start working in kitchens, build up some experience, some confidence. Um, and I began that course in October of 2020. And it started off on Zoom, which was like, okay, I understand. We're in a pandemic. We can't be in the same room. That's all right. And when we eventually did get to the classroom, um, you know, I'm going to be honest, like the, uh, the quality of education, the quality of the facility for what we were paying for month to month, it was pretty disappointing. And it became increasingly clear that they were kind of just holding the visas over our head. You know, they're like, you're lucky to be here. Um, you're lucky that, you know, you're receiving this education and there's, you know, uh, there's a lot to that, but. I just felt kind of like we were all being taken for a ride. I mean, we, we started this course in October. It's nearly June and we haven't stepped foot in the kitchen. We haven't learned much. Um, we've been taking theory courses, but we've had, <laughs> sorry. Um, we've had four different lectures in the span of however many months it's been. And, they would kind of just, when we got back to the classroom, they would kind of just stand there, throw up a PowerPoint, kind of get through it, and then send us to a computer lab to kind of just study on our own. So there wasn't a lot of inspiration or motivation to get the work done. And um, we're, not, we're not learning heaps, to be honest with you. How much is the course costing you? Um, so they expect us to pay... $2,000 Australian every other month. Whoa. So it's basically $1,000 a month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what what's an example of one of these PowerPoints? Um, so they'll, uh, they'll put up, they'll put something up and it'll just have maybe some health and safety stuff, which yeah, is valid, of course. Um, but there'll be like typos in it. The lecturer will just kind of skim past it, you know, not really engage us in any way. And um, yeah, I mean, you can kind of just, if you look around, you see the students are just like not at all engaged. And yeah, it's just, it's tough. Is it all internationals? Yeah, um, it's predominantly, actually, yeah, it's all international students, yep. I mean, it just sounds like a scam. Yeah, it's exactly it. And I, uh, I've had this conversation with many friends where I, I just feel like I'm being scammed, you know? Like, I went into this wanting to learn, you know, and, and wanting to have an education in Australia. I mean, I finished high school in the United States, but I never went to college, you know? I started working in hospital pretty much immediately. Um, so I just felt really let down um, and taken for a ride. 
I mean, we've been talking a lot about staffing from various angles on this podcast. And one of the things that comes up a lot is the mismatch between training and the requirements of a workplace. Can, can you talk about, you know, you've, you've also found at, at Lona Mesa, you're working in the kitchen. Okay. So can you just talk about the difference between what you've learned in class and what you've learned on the job at the restaurant you've, you're working at at the moment? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I'm going to put it bluntly. Nothing I've learned in this course prepared me for what I need to do at Lona Mesa. Um, I'm really, really lucky that the chef there, uh, Isa, took me on. Um, I told him, full disclosure, you know, look, I'm in this course, but I'm not learning anything really. So if you're okay with essentially hiring an apprentice to be in your kitchen, um, I'm, I'll do it. You know, I'm hungry for this. I want this. And he took me on really graciously. Um, but again, nothing I learned in the classroom prepared me for Lona Mesa. I, everything I've learned is on the job. Um, I'm really thankful that everybody's been as patient as they can be, you know, showing me the ropes. But I feel like I'm out of my depth half the time. And, I mean, the people around you in the course, mm-hmm. um, do you have a sense of their experiences? Are they also working in restaurants, um, uh, you know, concurrent with their studies? Yeah, most of them are. Most of them are and are trying to, you know, make their way just like I am. And, you know, when the lecturer steps out or whatever, whatever I'll, I'll look around and I'll just be like, guys, we're paying $1,000 a month for this. And they all just kind of laugh. And it's just kind of a joke. And, you know, they want to be here. They want to study. They want to work in restaurants. They want to cook. But there's so many barriers for them. So we will. Do you think that this is an outlier institution that you're having an unusual experience or do you feel like this is something that you're hearing happens a lot? You know, when I speak to people about this, people who have done cookery certificates and all of that, a lot of them kind of say the same thing, maybe not to the extent that this institution is, but a lot of people say that, you know, culinary school or cookery school didn't prepare them for I guess, real world work experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, I suppose in any industry you could say, of course, you're going to learn different things. It's going to be more intense on the job. There's going to be things that you can only really learn, um, you know, in a real world context rather than in an academic context. But I suppose what you do hope from that formal learning is that you've got some, you know, you've got a basis, you've got some skills that you can then apply and um, trade up as you, as you learn in a real world environment but it doesn't sound like that's what's going on for you. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right on that. Um, and so let's talk about, you know, the, the, the what students need to do to get by. As, as you've mentioned, students now are not restricted to working 40 hours a fortnight. They are allowed to, in hospitality and some other industries, they're allowed to work more hours. Um, in that environment where students were able to only work 20 hours a week, um, what kinds of uh, work work experiences did you hear that people were having? Uh, so many people would just find work off the books. So many students, whether they were in commercial cookery like me or in another um, area of study, would just point blank say, look, the 20-hour rule, I can't, I can't make my life happen here like that. So they would find cash jobs, under-the-table jobs, and you know, you hear all these stories about exploitation and, you know, honestly, they're true. You know, so many people 
are taken advantage of, um, especially those who maybe English isn't their first language. Uh, you know, Tushay had mentioned in her podcast, you know, a lot of these people kind of try to find their way. They try to find people who come from the same country and, you know, all of that exploitation is real. You know, they're like, they're being told that, you know, the employer is doing them a favor by paying them off the, off the record and giving them cash in hand, but it's not the case at all, you know? It just makes me think about your friend you had in LA, the Melbourne person who was saying, telling you how great it was here. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you came here with stars in your eyes, you know, coffee mecca of the world. And um, there's a bit of an underbelly, isn't there? No, certainly. Certainly. And, you know, it's always, everything seems glamorous. And then you look behind the curtain and you see what really happens. And it's more often than not disappointing, unfortunately. And... <laughs> Your friend compared restaurant work in America to restaurant work in Australia, and obviously there are differences in terms of you know minimum wages and conditions if indeed people abide by them. Um, mm. Can you just give us a bit of a, uh, a perspective from your experience in restaurants there and here? Yeah, I mean, I do find that the the wages here, if you're allowed to work a certain amount of hours, or if you have unlimited, you know, hours that you're allowed to work, the wages that you pay here, yes, they're totally fair. Um, you know, I've been able the kind of the life I've been able to have here while working in Australian hospitality, it's been great. Um, if I were to have stayed in LA and worked in restaurants and cafes, I'd be lucky to be able to afford a, a one-bedroom apartment, right? Um, in terms of uh, I guess, hmm. in terms of just the kind of work conditions and all that, I think they're pretty similar, to be honest. I mean, I've been really fortunate to find the jobs that I've found, and the the biggest difference is the pay, I think, and the livability um, that you're able to experience here. Mm. So, well, that, I mean, there's some positives in that. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, I mean, what are your options at the moment, Robert? You've got, you've, you're doing this course. Your visa is dependent on you studying. Uh, the course is a waste of time. It just sounds like a, it just sounds like a visa tax, to be honest. And it sounds like the institution's just a, a scam, just like, um, feeding off Australia's education policies. Um, uh, correct me if you have a different view, but that's what it sounds like. No, I, you're nailing it perfectly. Uh, so what are you thinking? It's really tough. Um, I think about this pretty much every day and have thought about it every day since I kind of realized, you know, this is a bit of a scam. As it stands, I just don't know. I mean, I want to work at Lona Mesa. I'm inspired by what we're doing over there. I'm inspired by the crew over there. I really want to continue to work there and work in Australia. And, you know, I honestly do love it here, but I do kind of come home sometimes and think, well, I'll, sorry, I'll come home from school and just think, what's it all worth? You know, I mean, the course goes on until 2022 and there's this kind of promise that, oh, you finish the course, you get a work experience visa and then you apply for your PR, which on paper sounds incredible, right? but I just don't know if I can stomach paying this institution this amount of dollars every other month to learn nothing, you know? 
and just feel like much like you said, like I'm being scammed. Um, I don't know. I truly don't know. I mean, I've spoken to other students who shop around for the cheapest possible course that they can find. And you just think there are institutions meeting them in that, you know, meeting them halfway because that's their business model. Um, so, I mean, as, as much as I think it's great to have international students coming here to learn and to contribute to our society and to, of course, you know, um, yeah, skill themselves up, whether they take those skills back to their country of origin or not. I think, you know, in theory, that's great, but it's um, it must be so frustrating and such a waste of money to be embedded in a system that is obviously broken, at least somewhere along the line. Yeah. I mean, 100%, there's a lot of frustration in there and it's just, it's really hard to navigate. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people that obviously English isn't their first language. You have the advantage of speaking, you know, perfect English um, and you don't have that extra barrier to navigating the system. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, you know, the having English as a first language, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, it's an advantage. Um and it kind of, I think, helped me realize that, you know, they're taking us for a ride straight away. But, yeah, it's it's just tough, you know? Yeah. What are, what are you hearing from back home? Like, how is L.A. going with opening up? Um, yeah, they are opening up. Uh, a lot of my friends who are in my age range, so mid to late 20s, um, have all received their vaccines. They're kind of in this weird in-between space where it's, uh, I guess, what we would call a COVID normal in Australia. Um, so they're allowed to go out and dine and go to a bar and all that. And, you know, a lot of people are getting vaccinated in L.A. Um, so it's funny, you know, we're back in this lockdown and I'm looking at my friends who are all living it up in L.A. Um, but, I'm, you know, it's... Uh, it's different. I think they're coming a long way. Um, and certainly, I think, you know, things are getting closer to, to normal than we would have thought a year ago. This, yeah. I mean, there are still a lot of people dying of COVID in the US. Um, of course, you know, vaccination, it's way ahead of us proportionally. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I think there's still... Yeah, I'm just looking. So, like, stats this week, it's like there's still around 600 people a day dying from COVID, which is so devastating. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, my God, wouldn't it be great if everyone here could just walk out and get vaccinated today? Yeah, that'd be ideal. Um, Robert, is there anything else that you want to say? Um, no, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, thanks for hearing my story. And, you know, I just hope that, international students really recognize their worth here and and do what they can to stand up for their their right to learn and their right to be a part of um you know the australian way of life and the culture um i mean i just again massive shout out to lona misa i think without them i i'd feel like i'd have no cookery skills whatsoever so thanks to the team there 
And thanks so much again to you for hearing me out. When I come to Lona Mesa, when we're back open, we're just loving life again. What uh, What's a dish that really impresses you? Ooh, oh, so many. Everything from the Jasper is incredible. The cauliflower and broccoli dishes are incredible. The mushrooms are otherworldly. Um, but the ceviche and the tamales for me, uh, that just reminds me of home. That reminds me of my mom's cooking, so I highly recommend those. How do they do a ceviche without seafood? Uh, they use pink king oyster mushrooms, I believe, um, and it's absolutely fantastic. Wow, I love that. Shannon is just a she's just a genius with um, flavor, and it's really exciting to hear of all the. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of the food um, that I've had at Smith and Daughters and Smith and Deli, it's that sort of shape shifting. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe it's not meat. But it, I just love um, this real veg focus that there seems to be at Lona Mesa with just a lot of like, yep, it's a cauliflower and it's bloody delicious. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's super inspiring. Uh, well, I'm so happy that you've got a place that you can go, um, if not today, but soon, let's hope, uh, to be really inspired and to learn and, um, yeah, just to skill up. And I'm really sorry that there's this other element that you're paying for that is a total drag. Um, it's definitely something that needs to continue to be looked at. But thank you for pushing this conversation forward, Robert. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. The pleasure's mine. Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.